0: Supernatural is
1: something that isn't supposed
2: to happen, but it doesn't. AM 1420, WBSL presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa.
3: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. There is no silent assassin, Matt Costa. There also is no science advisor, Matt Moniz. I am manning this ship all by myself. So, whoever has to come in here Monday morning or Sunday morning and clean up after me is uh, in for a lot of trouble here because something's bound to go wrong. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast, where we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. Except for last Saturday night, we weren't here because we were at our Legend Trips event graveyard shift at slater mill in Pawtucket, rhode island what a great event it was i want to say hi to all of our friends out there who attended that event it was my first time investigating slater mill and it was only my second time ever actually being there and i'm still completely blown away by the place i have to say it's one of the coolest locations i've ever been to for both ghost hunting and for any reason in general so if you haven't had a chance to check out slater mill for yourself please do so at your earliest possible convenience they have tours they have uh, ghost tours that they do too on the weekends and they also have a, a variety of special events that they do throughout the course of the year so just go to slatermill.org and you can find out more you can also follow them on twitter they're on facebook all kinds of ways to get all kinds of ways to get a hold of them and of course legend trips is the company that spooky south coast partners with ghostvillage.com and jeff Belanger to bring you oh i don't know just the best in paranormal events I'd have to say that really. And I I'm not saying that because, you know, I'm part owner of the company and I have a financial stake. And I'm saying it because I think we're one of the full companies, uh, one of the only companies out there that's a full service company. I mean, we make sure that you get dinner, you get lectures, you get something cool like 30 Odd Minutes live, which we taped at Slater Mill. I know live taped doesn't really work out, but it will when you watch it on 30 Odd Minutes in the upcoming weeks. And we also have hours of investigation with some of the more notable names in the field who are associated with the locations at which we are investigating. So to me it's it's not about us. it's not about what guests we can bring. it's not even about you and, and the kind of good time that you can have. It's about the locations. It's about bringing these events to these spots and helping them out and showing them that you know the paranormal community is a great community and that we can actually be worthwhile. To let in and investigate. So, and Slater Mill's been great about letting paranormal investigators in, but you never know. You know, it only takes one bad apple to spoil the bunch. We've seen that happen with a number of paranormal investigators over the years, where something goes wrong, or some group doesn't exactly, uh, you know, follow uh, proper guidelines and procedures, and it ends up putting a dark stain on the rest of the paranormal community. And a place that was previously open to some groups is no longer available for investigation. And then sometimes you get a situation like Belcourt Castle in Newport, Rhode Island, where it was open for investigation for a while, and then somebody comes in and they don't want to allow it anymore. So by showing them that the paranormal community is a good group of people, and by also being able to put a check in their pocket, we can open up these doors for people and get you into some of these locations that you might not have been able to get into in the past. And we have another one that we just announced, believe it or not. I know it seems like we just finished the last one, but we're announcing the next one. But that's how it works with Legend Trips, because... Once you're part of the group, once you're part of the Legend Trips family, you get exclusive pre sale access to our future events. And you, even if you haven't attended an event, you can get that pre sale access by joining the mailing list at legendtrips.com. But we announced this week our Dead of Summer event on August 25th at the Lizzie Boyd and Bed and Breakfast in Fall River. It's going to be our first time ever holding one of these events at Lizzie's in the summertime. Normally we do Dead of Winter in february but this is going to be in the same month that the murders were committed the 120th anniversary of the Borden murders and so i just know the house is going to be active extremely active and it changes the dynamic too when you're investigating in the summer as opposed to in the winter uh, with the atmospheric conditions with the number of people that are coming in and out of the house on a daily basis kind of charging up the paranormal activity so it's going to be really unique and different having it in the summertime but we put 25 tickets up for sale, as we do with all of our Lizzie Borden events, because fire laws prevent us from having any more ticket sales than that. And so uh, in the pre-sale alone, about half of those sold out. And we're now down to only four tickets remaining. Four tickets are left for dead of summer on August 25th at the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast. And you can get them by going to legendtrips.com. They are $135. That is your ticket into the event. If you want to get a room, well... Chances are probably slim at this point that you'll get one, mainly because we do a first-come, 1st first serve basis. So once the rooms go up for availability, it's going to go to the first person who purchased tickets. And then if they don't want them, it keeps moving on down the line. There's only six rooms and two suites uh, that will be available. So we're working out some deals with some local uh, hotels, and we'll try to find a, a good spot where everybody can get together. Thank you, of course, to the Comfort Inn of Pawtucket for putting together a great package, a great deal, for all of our Legend Trips attendees at Slater Mill last week. I stayed there myself, and I, I just had a great time. The place was awesome. It was just a, a nice place. It was half a mile from Slater Mill, so it was so nice, you know, at two thirty, three o'clock in the morning to just have to go half a mile down the street before I could crash. And uh, it, they were very accommodating, and it was nice to wake up in the morning and have breakfast with a bunch of our uh, ghost hunting friends. So it's definitely a unique experience. LegendTrips.com is the website to join up and to find out more. So now that I've done that big, long commercial, let's tell, uh, let's tell you about what's going to be happening on the program tonight. We do have an action-packed show tonight. Uh, even though I'm here by myself, I'm going to be joined by a number of guests over the course of the evening via the telephone. Uh, coming up in the first hour of the program, we're going to have Captain Ralph Wilkins of the Nat Geo show Wicked Tuna. Now, a lot of people have been talking about this show, Wicked Tuna. They sail out of Gloucester, Mass., so they're pretty local to us. And Captain Wilkins is actually based on Cape Cod, you might be asking yourself, well, what does a bunch of tuna fishermen have to do with the paranormal? We'll get into that in a little while with Captain Ralph Wilkins, and later on in the program, we'll be joined by Jennifer Lauer. Uh, you can check out her website in the meantime, com. She's going to be talking to us about a fundraising event she has going on Kickstarter to be able to finance three films that she's working on with her husband, Chris, and... There's a good connection here to the South Coast because Jennifer Lauer used to be known as Jennifer Adams, and she's a graduate of Wareham High, a native of Wareham, and uh, her and I used to actually act together in the Wareham High School Drama Club. So we'll talk about that coming up a little bit later on with Jennifer Lauer, and then in, in the second hour of the program, and for the duration of the evening, we'll be talking with Jason Mayo of Christian White and Christian White of Haunted Rhode Island. Now we talked about their first episode. Uh, this past fall, when they investigated the Ramtail Factory and the Mercy Brown case for PBS in Rhode Island. Now we're going to talk about episode two, The Legend of Dolly Cole, which actually premieres next Friday, May 5th, at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. And of course, next Friday, May 5th, at 10 p.m. on the Bio Channel, you can watch My Ghost Story, uh, featuring myself and Jeff Belanger, talking about the Lizzie Boyden Bed and Breakfast. So... Oh, so many things to promote, so much to talk about. We don't know where we're going to begin, but we will begin with uh, Captain Ralph Wilkins of the show Wicked Tuna uh, coming up in just a few minutes, of course. During the course of the evening, you can watch what's going on in the studio on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, and I'm, like I said, working by myself here tonight, so if I don't get to the chat room, I apologize, but I do have it up. I can't see it. I want to say hi to everybody in the chat room tonight, and uh, you can always call in with your questions as well. At 508 996 0500 1 877 996 1420. Those lines will be open throughout the program. You can email us Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. I'll try and check those as much as I can. And uh, as I mentioned, the chat room is also available on spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. Before we go to a break, speaking of Spooky TV, I've been in discussions with some people about some upcoming new programs. I know we say this all the time, and it doesn't always pan out because Sometimes people have great ideas for shows, and they just don't have the technology to be able to pull them off. So we're hoping that we can work with a couple of people coming up here to get some programming on Spooky TV so that it can be more of a week-long thing for you instead of just on Saturday nights and Tuesday nights. And speaking of Tuesday nights, I want to say congratulations to Tiffany Rice, the host of Spirit Connections, on her recent one-year anniversary. I was there, uh, along with Spooky South Coast's Matt Moniz and, and Andrew Lake uh, and Carlson Wood, Jason and Christian from Haunted R.I. were there. Stephanie, of course, is there every week. And uh, we had a great little first anniversary show and party there at Wareham TV. And then I, I took them over and showed them the Fearing Tavern. So that's another place that we're working on, a Legend Trips event coming up. So stay tuned for that as well. All right, well, why don't we take a break? When we come back, we will talk with Captain Ralph Wilkins of the Nat Geo show, Wicked Tuna. You've seen it on the National Geographic channel for the last few weeks. We'll talk with him about the... A little bit of a paranormal connection between tuna fishing and the world of the supernatural. Uh, as well as some of the other questions that people have been asking about this show. About uh, going out there and, and fishing for these bluefish tuna. Which one of them recently set a record for the sale price of a tuna. And you're not going to believe the amount that it's sold for. I mean, really. This is like catching this fish is like winning the lottery and uh, we'll talk with Captain Wilkins about that coming up in just a few minutes when we return with more of Spooky South Coast. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here flying solo for the night. Uh, I guess you could say that I am the captain of this ship, but joining us on the line, we have an actual captain. We have Captain Ralph Wilkins of the show, Wicked Tuna, airing on the National Geographic channel, Sundays at 10 p.m., and it's a it's a hit. I mean, people are talking about this show, and uh, they're talking about it for a variety of reasons, so let's get into all of that with our guest tonight, Captain Ralph. Good evening, Captain. Thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, we're, we're, we're wondering here uh, about... Y- y- just the life of a tuna fisherman, it seems to me like it's a real boom or bust type of life that uh, you're going to go out there for uh, quite a bit of time and, and hope to make pretty much all the money you need for the year in just a short period of time. That must be a crazy way to live.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, you, know, you can't really go to a bank and try to get a mortgage and tell them you're a tuna fisherman. I don't think they're going to lend you the money. Um, you know, it, it's it, you know there's a lot of bonuses and a, and a lot of detriments to the business. I mean, you know, the workplace is an unbelievable place to go to work every day, but like you said, financially, it's a roller coaster. It's a feast or famine, and either you're the hero or you're the zero. Well, oh so, so... yeah, it's an emotional. Uh, it's definitely an emotional business.
3: Speaking of feasts, I mean, uh, what, what's the typical size of, of one of these tunas that you reel in? These bluefish tunas.
2: Well, what's been happening over the last. You know, 25 years, is the biomass of fish size has has been changing. Um, It seems as if um, there was total devastation over the last 10 years of the middle size. You know, the 3, 4, 500s kind of disappeared. And, and, um, you know, know, we blame it, the the U.S. fishermen blame it on the Mediterranean because they were, you know, in violation of the ICAT rules and regulations for conservation for a number of years. And they kind of wiped out that whole age group. So now what we see is either um, uh, fish that are just becoming keeper size, which are 73, 74 inches, which weigh about 200 pounds. There's a good body of those size fish. And, and then there's also, towards the fall, we've been seeing some extra large fish. You know, some of the grandpas are still around. So, um, But the fish stocks, you know, they've been rebounding. We've seen a lot, a lot of smaller fish. And I believe the conservation efforts are starting to, uh, to work. So we're optimistic.
3: Well, in talking about the, the conservation here, it, there's a lot of controversy about the show Wicked Tuna, and, and part of that is that people feel that these blue tu- bluefish tuna are overfished. And I, I thought I read somewhere too that they're on the world endangered species list, but not the U.S. endangered species list. Is that true?
2: Well, there's been a lot of you know conservationist movements to try to shut the fisheries down, and the, and the stocks um, you know seriously did decline over the past 25 years. But, um, you know, in the U.S. here, yeah, we've been conserving for a while. It's it's really been, the problem's been overseas with some of the third world countries. You know, there's such a big market in Japan that, you know, people become pirates. Um, but uh, from what I see personally, being in the ocean, and, and, you know, we understand scientists have limited data. They sample a, a portion of the ocean, and then they they multiply it by vast numbers. And they're not out there every day. So, you know, guys in boats like myself, you know, I'm out typically, you know, on a, on a year could be 10 months. You know, we're out at sea more than we're at land. And, you know, we kind of get tuned in with the environment. And we're seeing that there's a lot of tuna fish around. The tuna fish are definitely not endangered. Um, you know, we definitely went through a serious time where they were threatened. But I think we've got a good handle on it right now. And, the, and the, the, the showing up of all these fish, 72, 73, 74 inches, within the last four or five years is a really good sign that the stocks are rebuilding.
3: Well, now I know I can go to the pond across the street from my house any day and catch about 50 sunfish, <laughs> but uh, yeah. nobody wants those. <laughs> With these tunas, what's the typical haul uh, when you make a trip out to sea?
2: Well, we have a limit right now. The government gives us limits. Um, when there's an abundance of fish, typically we're allowed one tuna fish per day. Okay. So it kind of makes it difficult to, uh, to be very profitable. I mean, you have to go in and out each day. Sometimes the trip's 50, 60 miles, so it's a round-the-clock operation. You're traveling at night, bringing your catch in, flipping the boat around, you know, getting out to the grounds by the time the sun comes up. Um, but with, with the way the fishing was the last couple of years, Um, And with the, you know, the government also takes into consideration, I believe, the cost of fuel and the cost of operation of the vessels. So they've been letting us take three a day. So in other words, if we're going to travel 50, 60, or even 150 miles sometimes to Georgia's banks, at least they're allowing us to retain three tuna fish. So, um, you know, the bottom line, the net profit to the boat makes more sense with a catch limit of three.
3: Now, with that catch limit, I mean, is there a, a big discrepancy in how much one can weigh, or do they all typically kind of grow to about the same size?
2: Well, no, there's no restrictions on what we can catch weight-wise, but um, typically when you're fishing in an area or on a, up a, um, a herd or a school of tuna, they're all the same. They're, they're like cookie cut. You know, they're all the same size. If you move five miles down the edge, you could be in a different school with a different size. So, But they range anywhere from 200... I mean, I was watching one of the shows on tonight, one of the reruns, and Kevin on the Christina had one that was a thousand sixty. So you know, there's there's some big fish around. You know, Uh, what we're going to catch, what bites on the hook—that's that's that's something that we don't know. You know, and you know, you could be fishing, you know, hoping to get a six hundred pounder and catch a two hundred pounder. But you know, the way I look at it, it's the size of the check, not the size of the fish, because some of these smaller fish, the check—you know—you can get eighteen dollars. 200 pound fish or you can get eight dollars for 400 pound fish you know to me you know being a commercial fisherman it's the size of the check not the size of the fish
3: well that's one of the things i was going to ask you is that uh, doesn't it have to do with the quality of the, the fish that you're catching too isn't there a way that you can actually judge uh you, you know just the meat itself before you oh yeah, yeah. To the fish? i mean you
2: know what uh, even beef purveyors i mean if you you go to a supermarket and you're a steak eater, you know what a good steak looks like. Um, you know, you want to see marbling, you want to see fat. And bluefin tuners is, in my opinion, a lot like a steak. Um, it's not very fishy to taste. Uh, it's red, and it does have marbling and fat. And, and a good tuna fish, if you catch a lot of them, you start to know what they're looking for. You need oil, you need shape, you need color, and you need fat. And, uh, you know, typically the, the earlier tuna that come up from swimming from their uh, breeding grounds typically burn all their fat d- during the trip. So most of the fatty fish come towards the end of the year. They're a little lean when they first get here from, you know, using all the energy source to, to, to migrate. So once they're up in the North Atlantic feeding in the cold waters, which the, you know the reason that they come here, um, they fatten up and, and you'll start to see as as the season progresses The, uh, improved quality in the fish and the prices. So, you know, what, uh, what we have to do as a fisherman is, you know, since we can't not fish, you know, the the season opens in June, so we want to fish, but we do a cost average. And by the end of the year, you know, we typically average about 10 bucks a pound, but it may start as low as three or four in the spring and go as high as 18 or 20 in the fall. But overall, basically you're looking at a $10 average
3: well i I saw somewhere online where there was recently a record tuna that sold for seven hundred yeah, yeah. and thirty six thousand dollars yeah what what would it be that would make it such a valuable fish?
2: Well, n- number one, that was probably caught on a Japanese uh vessel so and and Japan typically has these fish in January. to me, they're symbolic fish, you know, maybe a person of statute. Um, makes that purchase. It makes the news. It's it's like a promotional type of thing. I think it's more than that than than the the realistic value of the tuna fish per se. I think it's more of a symbolic purchase. I mean, um, we've we've you know, Dave Marciano has a twenty four thousand dollar fish. You know, I have had a fourteen thousand dollar fish. I mean, there are some big price tags. You know, in a Korea, but typically on the average, it's a ten dollar average, and that that's the only. Misconception that people think with the giant tuna fish that, you know, it's like catching a lottery ticket. But, um, you know, you can string a couple good ones in a row. You can make, you can make some change. But, you know, the operation and cost of running these vessels these days with the cost of diesel fuel has just been astronomical. And if we look back 10 years, um, you know, we were paying 80 cents a gallon for fuel and getting $10 a pound. And here in 2012, you know, we're getting $10 a pound, and we're paying $5 a gallon for diesel. So our cost of operation has increased over 500%, and the cost of the fish hasn't increased any, at all. You know, it's been pretty flat. So, you know, the fisherman is just another another dying breed in this country. It's uh, You know, the economy is not helping us at all.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and the whole energy crisis has really become a, a critical thing for the fishing fleet.
3: Well, even if the fishing industry is, is, uh, is being crippled right now, one industry that's not suffering at all is reality television. <laughs> so I can see where the hybrid comes in, into play there. Now, one of the things that we talk about on the show, well, what we talk about mostly on the show is the paranormal. And we talk frequently about some of these paranormal reality shows, and we know some of the stars of these programs. So we look at the behind-the-scenes kind of stuff. And with the fishing industry, how has having a camera crew along affected what you guys do on a day-to-day basis?
2: Well, for me, uh, it's, it was a difficult task for me. And, and speaking about paranormal and stuff, um, you know, I do a lot of fishing solo. You know, the show has me with the mate, but that was pretty non-typical for me, uh, other than for the long offshore trips. I like to fish solo. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I bring the spirits with me when I fish, when I fish solo. I mean, sometimes I'm the only boat out on the edge. And, uh, if you've ever spent a night on a, 31-foot boat in the middle of the ocean, when the sun goes down, it gets pretty dark. So, um, you know, I'm a believer that they're there. You know, I have my guardian angels with me, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been quite interesting, you know, being out in the environment uh, all by myself in a situation like that. You know, the, the danger, living on the edge there, it, it just it thrills me.
3: Well, I, I can just imagine, uh, I wrote a book about some of the local ghost stories here in this area, and, and uh, being, you know, I, I live in Wareham, so I'm very close to Cape Cod, and right. you know, we, we have n- many stories about ghost ships that are always spotted out there, and I can just imagine, you know, when the when the sun starts to go down and it starts to get dark, you know, that thought kind of does creep into the back of your head, you know, seeing some of these these old ships that we hear yep. stories about.
2: Yep. Well, let me tell you, it's not for everybody. I mean, you know... Um not alone on land can pe- some people not be alone i mean being out 30 40 50 60 miles out in the ocean by yourself on a boat i mean if you don't if you don't have some self control and, and mental abilities to uh to stop your mind from wandering you could really beat yourself up out there but you know um i'm in tune with the spiritual world you know and, and i have no problem relating to them and i know they're there and um and and i take them with me you know and and they've been all good you know good things for me they've protected my back, you know, I often say that if I don't almost die every year fishing, then I didn't fish hard enough, and, you know, I I think I've used more than nine lives already, so there's (laughs) got to be somebody else helping me out there.
3: Now, with this program and and the way that things are going, I mean, it seems like the the different crews are very competitive with one another. And I'm, I'm assuming that that's how it is in, in the business of fishing as well, that you're always competitive with each other. But uh, actually, the captain of the bounty hunter is one of your best friends, right?
2: Yeah, Billy, you know, Billy and Donna, they the sweet people. Um, they're really uh, honorable and trustworthy. And, and you don't find that in, in this industry very much. Um, you know, the old-timers used to tell me, leave your friends at the dock because you know when you untie the lines, you really have no friends. Um, I found that not to be true with Billy and Donna. They're friends, you know, at the dock, they're friends in the ocean. But I can't say the same for many of, of the other of us. You know, I mean, we're all out there trying to feed our families, and, and if you can bring the only fish to the dock that day, you're going to get paid more money. And, and the bottom line is it's it, there's some real competition there. And i got to tell you, I mean, this reality show is real. I mean, there's, you know, I'm watching it as you guys are watching it. None of, none of us have seen it before. And as I see it play out, it's as real as it is. I mean, it, I, you know, there was I had a policy on my boat that there was no, you know, if this is reality TV, there's no doing over. You guys get it the first time you get it right. And, and you know, and it worked out well. They sent me some good camera guys. And, and um, you know, it was a little difficult working with them in the beginning. But uh, when they finally got this guy River for me, you know, he he never got between me and the fishing pole. And that was the most important thing. You know, those are my tools. Those are the extensions of my arms and uh you can't you can't me, separate me from my arms, so once we understood that the uh the camera kind of you know slid into the background, and uh we got back to going to work like a normal day
3: although I'm sure that there was uh, some degree of getting the production crew acclimated to being out on a boat in the middle of the ocean too. I'm sure there were some green faces and uh some guys heaving yep. over the so side for a while.
2: We each only had one guy, and what you know the challenge for the film company was is to get the guy that was talented enough to do sound, camera and production all at the same time because remember, we're not actors, you know, I mean we we don't perform, so, you know, for for them to get what they needed to make this show, um, you know, there was a certain amount of coercion by their producers in order to get the answers that they wanted, you know, for the questions that sure. they had. Yep. And and um, you know, they found you know they went through quite a few guys, I gotta tell you, the first couple of weeks were a little rocky. You know, I didn't have a camera guy right away, and, and, uh, you know, Kevin on the Christina had, I think he had six camera guys before he got one to stick. You know, guys were just, uh, getting seasick, and, um, yeah, you know, it's not, not a typical environment. My guy had to sleep on the floor because we only have two bunks. So the, well, you know, the mate had one bunk and I had the other bunk, and the cameraman was just left on the floor. So, I mean, <laughs> they, they were dedicated professionals, I gotta tell you. Whatever they earned, and I don't know what they earned, they earned it.
3: Yeah, he's he's sitting there thinking I'm making eleven grand to sleep on the floor, and you're getting eleven grand to fish. What's going on here? Yeah,
2: well, you know, you know, like I say, this tuna fishing, it's feast of famine, and you're either the hero, or you're a zero, um, and every year is different. You know, I mean, uh, we're seeing, you know, uh, some some good shows from some good boats this year that the year before weren't doing that well, and and next year. You know, God willing, we get the renewal with Nat Geo, and, and there'll be new heroes and new zeros for next year, I promise you.
3: Excellent. Now, when will you find out if there's going to be another season? Because uh, shouldn't you be preparing to, to ship out pretty soon? Won't they have well, to know? Well, you
2: know what? We're getting ready already. The boats are already in the water. My boat was in just put in the other day, and, and, and that's a corporate decision from Nat Geo and Pilgrim Films. You know, they're both very good at what they do. It's, you know, we're, we're really honored to be uh, working with such great companies as those two big shots there in Hollywood. Um, and I guess it's just all a numbers game, you know. That just watching the numbers, making sure that the the viewers are going to stay around and that they like it. And I, I think it's a great show. It's more than a fishing show, that's for sure.
3: <laughs> Take that, uh, what's his Charlie Moore outdoors? Take that, you know. You can't. You can't. <laughs> well, there's do it so
2: much house. reality TV today, and there's so much outdoor programming that you know. There's a lot to compete with. But uh, if you look at you know Nat Geo's commitment to this show with its marketing and advertisement and. And the creativity of Pilgrim Films, I, I just can't see it not happening next year. You know, we're all waiting for the phone call, but we haven't gotten it as of yet. But uh, in any case, you know, June 1 will be around the corner here and we'll be tuna fishing. So we'll be either tuna fishing with the cameras or without the cameras. That, that's what I know.
3: Excellent. Well, we've been able to get some of the stars from Pilgrim's paranormal shows involved with some of our events. Maybe we'll find a way to get you guys involved with some stuff, too.
2: Yeah, well, you know what? It was, it's, you know, it's great to do all kinds of radio shows, and I like to talk to all kinds of people about my experiences out there. You know, 10 years ago, it was a lucrative fishery. We were making some money. We would have never thought about telling the world our story. You know, it was a very private story. You know, you could go out and make a living in a couple of months. You know, it was, it was a nice way to make a living. So it was very private for a number of years. You know, people used to frown upon you if you brought another friend into the business or another boat showed up. You know, all that's changed The economy's changed It's, uh, you know, guys that are just relying on fishing for a living It's been hard on us It's You know, there's few, fewer and fewer of us And, hey, you know, reality's such a big thing right now You know, and a bunch of us are getting on in our age And we just said, hey, you know what? I think it's time to show the public
3: Yeah Well, we're glad that you're doing that Yeah, well, we're happy to do it And, you know,
2: you couldn't have cast a better, a better five guys I mean, there's, you know, there we're five characters Everybody's a little different um, I gotta tell you, you know, it is it is competitive. You're seeing real real time stuff, um, and uh, you know, it's 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 something to have a friend at the dock, and then be, you know, you have to turn your back on them in the ocean because you have to eat. So, um, I mean, if any, if anyone can really see through what's going on here, it's serious business.
3: All right, well, again, the show is called Wicked Tuna. It airs on the Nat Geo channel Sundays at 10 p.m., and, of course, it's also available on demand as well. Uh, Thank you very much, Captain Ralph Wilkins, for joining us, and and please stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you again sometime down the line.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, call us up any time. You know, we'll uh, we'll be glad to jump on your show and give you an update.
3: Sounds great, and I I look forward to eating some of the tuna that you catch. (laughs) I'll be down the market getting some this week to throw it on the grill.
2: Very good. Thank you so much. All right, have a good night, all. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
3: Right, that is Captain Ralph Wilkins of the show Wicked Tuna on Nat Geo, Sundays at 10 p.m. And uh, check it out if you haven't seen it already. I do love the fact that we're able to bring people into this program that you know may not necessarily be in the vein of the paranormal world but uh, we just like to look at it as we think that we have a pretty cool show we know that we definitely have a cool audience and so we like to bring them cool people and cool topics and I'm I'm seeing some of the you know discussion in the chat room as well as it's going on so it's sometimes it's it's uh, it's interesting to look at some of the other things and I think it's fascinating to me to talk to some of these other paranormal reality shows and see the differences between the way that they do things and the way that the paranormal world does things. And we heard Captain Ralph mention uh, the fact that you know they had to find the right people to film the program and, and to be out there with them on the ships. And we know from talking to cast members from Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International and that this is a similar thing that's happened on those programs, being able to find the right fit of, uh, of crew with that. And in some cases it works, in some cases it doesn't. But uh, clearly, things are working with Wicked Tuna because the show is a smash success and it's brought a lot of controversy as well. Which, you know, when was the last time we heard about a reality show bringing controversy? Right. That's not something we don't talk about here all the time. Well, I noticed that there was some discussion too in the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast dot com as well about Graveyard Shift at Slater Mill uh, and some of the different things that were happening there uh, over the course of last Saturday night. We will be putting up a page on our website on legendtrips.com uh, in the coming weeks where we compile a lot of the evidence that was captured. But in the meantime, go to Facebook and check out the work of Frank Grace and Trig Photography. He's the official photographer of Legend Trips events, and you've got to see this guy's work. Oh my gosh, is it amazing. And we had him film, uh, taking pictures of the event uh, and some of just his candid shots of what was going on during the course of the night are, are just superior to some of the work that you see elsewhere. And he also does the HDR imaging photos which are just crazy. When you look at some of the shots of Slater Mill of the with wa- the wheel pit of uh, the Sylvanus Brown house, all these different cool shots that he's taken, and he just he has a natural eye to be able to, to find a way to make the photo look that much more interesting and that much more creepy. And it definitely uh, plays into the vibe that was going on that night. So check out Trig Photography. Uh, you can find their website, too. I believe it's TrigPhotography.com. But the pictures are also up on Facebook. And, and, of course, Frank said anybody that's gone to the event and finds a photo of themselves that he took, you know, feel free to download it and uh, keep it for yourself. And, and if you want to contact him uh, through his website or through his Facebook page, you can order prints of the work as well. Uh, you're going to want these, these things when you see them. I mean, I, I just – looking at Slater Mill in some of these photos, it's just, bam, that's the way that I felt last Saturday night. That's the vibe captured in a single shot. So I, and personally, you know, I, I had a few strange experiences there. Uh, definitely some, I, I, I was positioned mostly in the Wilkinson machine shop for the night and I definitely felt some strange sensations, especially walking from one room, one end of the room to the other. And uh, we had some interesting sessions going on with the Shack hack. We had some people getting some hits on their meters. Uh, and we had a lot of people who were sensitive or had abilities. Of course, Pam Padalano was there and Tiffany Rice, our resident psychic and uh, spirit mediums. But uh, they were kind of reporting ominous feelings separate from each other. And they all seemed to be gravitating toward the same, toward the same spot. Stephanie Burke was there as well. And uh, she was able to also feel the same feeling. So a lot of these little things start adding up. And I know it's hard in that style of investigation when you've got 20 people in the room at one time all trying to investigate. It's really hard to collect good data. You know, if you have an EVP, you have to worry about if somebody was whispering in the background. There's a lot of possibilities for contamination in the evidence but when people are having the feelings when they're having the personal experiences that's what matters to me that's what i i look at as people taking away because now they've gone and they've researched and investigated this legend and they've become part of that legend so even though the the data may never be what might convince somebody else that the paranormal is real that ghosts do exist It's a chance for them to become part of the story and to become part of the legend now of Slater Mill. So next time we have an event there, we're going to be sharing the stories that these people experienced during their investigation of Slater Mill. So it's kind of – I don't know. I just find it to be very uh, fascinating how the the folklore and the mythology of it are influenced by the people who are there doing what should be considered scientific research. So one goes hand in hand with the other and they are not – mutually exclusive so that's going to be the same way that we do things at the dead of summer event 2012 on august 25th at the lizzie boyden bed and breakfast it's, uh, it's a week before memorial day uh, labor day weekend i believe so it's a cha- one last big summer fling if you want to get out there and check it out four tickets left and i'm going to guess that by the time the show goes off the air tonight those four tickets are going to be gone but uh, you can go to legendtrips.com to check and see and fear not if they sell out we will be having more events at the Lizzie Boyd and Bed and Breakfast and other places as well. We're talking about some really, really cool locations and cool guests and cool events that I can't talk about just yet uh, because they're still in the planning stages and nothing's official. But if we get to do these, they're going to be just phenomenal events. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, get, I'm getting giddy with anticipation of going out and taking part of these events. And uh, they are just a great time. I love getting out there, meeting the Spooky South Coast fans, meeting the 30-odd Minutes fans, meeting the Jeff Belanger groupies. Believe me, there are a lot of them. I wouldn't have believed it myself either till I saw it firsthand. There are a lot of them. There's even, if you can buy it, if you can buy this, there's Matt Moniz groupies. And then they meet him in person and they're like, oh, oh. So it's kind of fun to see that look of disappointment just grow on their faces when they meet the science advisor for the first time. Nah, I'm just kidding. But uh, everybody does want to meet the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and he doesn't usually make it out to these events because he works on Saturday nights now, but I think people are starting to question whether or not he actually exists. I think they're starting to question whether or not you know he's not Bigfoot or some sort of cryptid, and he's elusive. So I promise you that he is real, and we will get him out to one of these Legend Trips events sooner or later. Uh, but until then, just take my word for it. All right, we're going to come back coming up in the second hour after the news. We're going to talk with Jennifer Lauer, who is an actress – who grew up in Wareham and got her start in the Viking Theater Company with yours truly. And we're going to talk to her about her new films and her Kickstarter campaign to fund them. One of them is a thriller and will be right up the alley of this crowd of our audience. And another one is actually a vampire-based web series. So you're going to want to stay tuned to find out more about that. And then later on in the bottom half of the hour, we will talk with the gang from Haunted R.I. coming up in just a few minutes here on Spooky South Coast.
0: Welcome to South Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to
2: happen, but it does not AM 1420 WBSM presents Speaking South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa.
3: Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. No silent assassin, Matt Costa. No science advisor, Matt Moniz. Just me, myself, and I. That would be myself and my two favorite co-hosts. Welcome back to the program where we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. We had a great discussion in the first half of the program with Captain Ralph Wilkins of the Nat Geo show, Wicked Tuna. And while we're in a Hollywood kind of mood tonight, uh, we're going to bring on an old friend of myself and uh, a new friend of the program. And uh, you've probably uh, heard me talk before about my limited acting experience uh, in the past, especially when we did a few live radio performances here, when we did the uh, Possession of the Church here in our old-time radio show episode, and then uh, when we had the War of the Worlds reenactment, which... I recently talked to some people who just heard that for the first time and you know thought that we did a good job. So I must have done something, right? So uh, <laughs> I haven't been able to do much with uh, my limited acting experience, but somebody who has been able to is our guest tonight, Jennifer Lauer. Good evening, Jennifer. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hang on here. There we go. How about that? Let's try that.
0: Oh, Hi.
3: Now, all my years of AV experience that, that you saw firsthand, you know that they were all for nothing because I can't even turn on the phone correctly on the radio. Well,
0: I was, I was like, wow, he's really quiet right now. I hope it gets a little louder.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to do this job, you know, on my own here because for the first six years of the program, I just told Matt Costa to do everything. I'm like, no, I don't have to worry about that. You're always here. You just do it. <laughs> and then we get nights like tonight where I'm kind of stuck doing it on my own. so Solo. And, and you don't have to worry about doing everything on your own, at least. You've got a, a good crew ready to help you make these films.
0: I hope so. I mean, we are definitely have some really cool people who are involved, um, and we have a few more that we'd like to add on to the group. But, um, yeah, right now we have some really neat people. Um, our DP, George Sue, is really uh, just shot a feature film last year called Blood Relative, which is a horror film that's supposed to be released this year. And uh, Christopher Tin who's our music advisor, he just won last year two Grammy Awards for his album, Calling All Dons. So he's going to be helping us with music and uh, a whole slew of other great professionals.
3: Now, the project is called Three Films, Three Days. And uh, you're funding it through the crowdfunding website, Kickstarter, which we've talked about here on the show in the past with the WBCN documentary, and uh, they were able to raise the money that they needed to go forward with that film, and they needed $104,000 to go through with their film. And, and your film, your films, you actually need a lot less than that. <laughs> so hopefully, right. hopefully our audience can help you get that tonight. That
0: would be amazing. Yeah, we're looking to make uh, 11000 for all three films. So essentially about 3000 per film for the budget uh, of each short film.
3: But we only have a few hours left to, to raise the rest of that money.
0: That's right. We're at 14 hours to go, and we're just past uh, 50%, so we are over halfway there um, by all of the generous backers that we've received so far, but we're definitely looking to make our goal in these next 14 hours
3: now, let's talk a little bit about these three films, because as we said, they are very different from one another, but they, they also would have a, a pretty good um, a pretty good paranormal vibe to, to at least one of them for our, our vampire fans out there.
0: That's true. Uh, that project is called Draculette and it's a vampire satire. It's kind of uh, got its own little story about vampires. It's not exactly... Uh, like any other thing that is, has completely original vampire lore. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, certain parts of it are the same, but uh, it's basically a vampire with an eating disorder. She is afraid of blood.
3: <laughs> that's, a, that's like Chris Balzano was a vampire. That's a, that's a shot at our show's content director. But uh, the... The, there's got to be a way, when you're thinking, you know, when you're putting all this together, you've got to find a new direction to go with vampires, because right now they're just, I don't want to have a it's bad saturated. pun here, but they're being they're being done to death.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. And, you know, uh, I wrote the project two years ago at kind of the height of the Twilight, True Blood, Vampire Diaries. Um, I just thought it would be funny to kind of make fun of all of this dramatic vampire mm-hmm. uh Stuff going on so this is supposed to be more of a comedic take on all of the serious vampire lore going on um, so we just thought it would be funny you know what if what if she couldn't make the kill what if what if like blood freaked her out you know because there are lots of people who are afraid of blood sure or like they don't want to get a shot you know
3: and there are a lot of people who you know can't be around it when they're alive and I'm sure that would carry over in the afterlife too
0: yeah exactly. Exactly. We were thinking, you know, what if that's just her phobia? And then, you know, it's not necessarily her choice to become a vampire. And, you know, so that's kind of what we're exploring. And there's a whole, we developed a, an entire season of, around these characters. And uh, it, it's really fun. It's and, a really funny show.
3: And as a web series, it would be something that you would release uh, through your own website or through it, uh, its own website or YouTube? or.
0: Yeah, you know, probably to start, we probably release through YouTube. Through YouTube, um, we're looking once we shoot the pilot to sell the rest of the season and get investors to make the rest of the, the show. So maybe it would go on one of the web channels, like you know Crackle or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we'd be looking to do.
3: It, it seems like that's the that's really kind of the future of television because TV shows that are out there, they're putting so much money into these reality programs and scripted dramas and comedies are just falling by the wayside. Everybody's watching you know, the shorter version films on YouTube and on, uh, you know, some of these other Vimeo and these other sites.
0: It's true. I think a lot of things, people are watching things on their phone or their iPad, a lot of it's going online. So I think also keeping shorter, you know, content is the way of the future. At least, I mean, you know, there is something to relaxing and watching television in your home and everybody has the huge TVs now. But, you know, everyone's also starting to hook up to Netflix or other streaming. So, um, you know, shows like Portlandia, I think, are kind of starting that feature of, you know, filming these short little shows that they can put onto online content.
3: Sure. Uh, but that being said, though, too, you also have a feature film as one of these projects.
0: Yes. Uh, um, with the campaign, we'd be shooting the teaser for the feature. So... Um, that one would take place in rural Massachusetts. Uh, It's a thriller. It's kind of a gritty story, but more based on the psychological aspects of the thriller. Um, And that one we would plan to shoot in Massachusetts when we do the feature. The teaser will shoot in L.A., and the plan is to use the teaser to get funding for the feature because the feature is probably, you know, we're hoping to get some name talent and, uh, you know, shoot it for, like, you know, maybe $5 million. Um, So we'd be using the teaser from the Kickstarter campaign to pitch to bigger investors and to possible lame talent for actors and, you know, big game people for crew, and et cetera.
3: Sure. And uh, there's also uh, another short film that's part of these three films, three days, as well.
0: Yes, and that one's called Fallback, and that is a relationship drama. That's kind of our indie festival plan for that short and it's it's basically about the phenomena of being in a relationship and breaking up and then the fact that you be, go from being you know knowing someone really well and becoming a stranger and how it's such a strange thing that happens all the time in life and it happens over and over again
3: it happens to me all the time on this show when my co-hosts go away for a while and then they come back and <laughs> there's a whole new dynamic and
0: you're very sad to be alone right now,
3: aren't you? I kind of am. I was looking forward to I mean, I was with so many people last week at our Slater Mill event that, uh, you know, I could probably use some alone time. But, you know, you, you look forward to to seeing the guys. I mean, Moni's whatever. I I have to see him all the time. But, uh, you know, Matt Costa, I don't get to see him that much. And he was just out your way not that long ago. He was uh, out doing a cross-country drive. So I wish we had oh, nice. spoken before he left, and I, I could have had you show him some cool L.A. sights.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of really cool things that I think people miss when they're doing the tourist trap stuff.
3: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that you're going to be filming the, the uh, teaser uh, for your feature in L.A. because I'm having been out there, I'm like, where are you going to find out that way that looks like Massachusetts? You're going to have to start driving north for a couple hours at least.
0: Yeah, uh, we're definitely looking, and um, we have a few places up in Topanga <clears throat> area that we are looking at. And there's this awesome Indian Reservation that actually kind of has a little bit of the feel. But I think that's what why people shoot in LA because there are so many different scenic places to shoot. There's mm-hmm. the beach, you can go to the mountains, there's the desert, you know, you can kind of get every look. But yes, that is a challenge, but uh, there are a few places. If you have a really good location scout, that will really help.
3: Well, and it seems like you've got a, a good crew put together for this, but, of uh, the course, there's still room for the people listening out there to get involved with the project by donating through Kickstarter. And I was looking at some of the incentives that you have up there, and it, it's pretty interesting that uh, for a $5,000 donation, you can actually get the chance to be a executive producer on these films. That's that's, that's nothing right. to sneeze at. That's
0: right. That is the, our big save the day uh, incentive if someone wants to come in and like basically get us to our goal right away they get to be executive producer on all three of the films and of course they get an imdb credit and a pass to any festival that any of the films go to they can come to any any screening and also there's lots of fun things they get dvds and signed scripts etc
3: so if you're looking for a shortcut to get yourself into the movie business there's no easier way than that
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And for people who don't have that kind of cash, there are a couple other cool ones. Um, For $25, you can get your name in one of the films uh, of your choice. You can choose from the three films and get your name in the credits. So there is another option if you don't have the big money, but I would love for that one person to come down and save us and uh, get us to our goal.
3: I wonder how much it would cost to have you write in a character of like this really crazy scientist guy who uh, who always flakes out and, and doesn't come into the radio show, you could call him, oh, I don't know, Moniz. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, hmm,
0: what do you think on that one? Uh, I'll have to get back to you, but, you know, we have quite a few episodes of Dracula that we still have to fill in with um, lots of cast members. So.
3: If it's somebody that could just get bitten and used and thrown away, that would be a perfect exactly. uh, perfect role for him.
0: I think we can make that happen. There you I think, go. I think that... I think we might have a deal going on here, Kim.
3: But the important thing is that people can donate any amount. Even if they just want to donate a few dollars, they can still get involved and, and show their support for your work.
0: That's right. Any any amount over $1 is welcome. Um, and, you know, sharing it with their friends or, you know, it's it's definitely a collaborative thing. We're in touch with our backers all of the time. We're uh, doing updates, video updates, and also um, we're planning on continuing that throughout the process of filming. So you get some a real inside look at all of the films.
3: Well, it sounds like a, a great project to support. The website is, uh, Kickstarter is uh, the uh, main website for the crowdfunding campaign. And is there a link on your website, com?
0: Yeah, there's a link on com. And when you go on a Kickstarter site, it's a little bit uh, hard to navigate. You just click on Discover Projects, and then in the search bar, you can put three space films, space three dates, Days. You can't just put, it's not a smart search, so you can't just put three films, three days as one word. You have to separate it all out. But three Ah. films, three days in the search bar of Kickstarter or brattyactress.com. I have a link.
3: All right, so only a few hours to go. So pull out your credit card, make a donation, help out, get these films made, and uh, help fund what will be some of the next films that people will be talking about. And as, as I was saying earlier in the week, we'll have maybe our second Oscar winner from Wareham. That would be awesome.
0: Thanks so much, Tim. All right. Thanks for
3: joining us, Jennifer Lauer. And again, uh, the website is brattyactress.com. We can find the links. Keep us up to date. Let us know how it works out.
0: Thanks so much, Tim. All right. Take care. Night.
3: Bye-bye. I just pressed buttons here until... There we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, again, yeah, as I mentioned uh, earlier in the show, uh, that is Jennifer Lauer, who I knew as Jennifer Adams back in our high school days. Uh, we were actually in... Uh, if I think about it, I know we were in one production together. Uh, of the Marx Brothers coconuts that never actually made it to the stage. But that's a a story for another night that we'll get into some other time. Maybe, maybe not. All right, why don't we take a break. When we come back on the other side, we will talk with Jason Mayo and Christian White of Haunted R.I. about their new episode, Episode 2 of the season, Of the series. I'm sorry, we'll be airing next Saturday night, May 5th at 7 p.m. on the Rhode Island PBS station. It's about the legend of Dolly Cole, and I had never heard of the legend of Dolly Cole until I watched the episode uh, earlier this week. And I got to tell you, this is a very, very fascinating case that our own Andrew Lake is actually well versed in, as well as uh, spooky South Coast favorite Tom D'Agostino. They both appear in the episode with Jason and Christian uh, investigating the legend of. Dolly Cole, and we will talk with them about this episode and about the series and about what they see happening going forward, and uh, we'll find out more about what we can expect from the guys from Haunted R.I., and we'll talk about some of these cases. And I want to put these guys on the spot, too, because they've got, after having seen them last week at the South Coast Paranormal and Psychic Fair last Saturday morning, and then speaking with them again Tuesday night when we tape the one-year anniversary episode of Spirit Connections, Tiffany Rice's show that airs on Spooky TV on Tuesday nights, I was talking with them about some of their thoughts about the paranormal and about these legends and mythologies of New England and especially Rhode Island. You know, these these guys really know their stuff, and I, I think that it doesn't come across as much in the episodes because they're just the documentary filmmakers they're the ones who are just documenting other people's research and they're asking the right questions but they're not really getting into a lot of their own thoughts and theories about the paranormal so we'll put them on the spot we'll talk to them about all that coming up in just a few minutes when we come back with more here on spooky south coast all right welcome back to spooky south coast tim weisberg here all by myself no Matt Monies, no Matt Costa, but I'm sure they'll be back next week. We've got a whole bunch of shows lined up here in the coming weeks, including uh, coming up uh, in a few weeks, we're going to be having Derek Gunn, who runs the amazing Massachusetts website. We're going to be talking with him about some of the legends of Massachusetts, but uh, we have joining us on the line two guys who are very knowledgeable in the legends of Rhode Island, and they actually put together a program called haunted ri uh joining us online we have christian white hello christian how are you doing tonight
1: hey there tim thank you very much it's uh for having me it's an absolute pleasure
3: oh we're glad to have you on and joining us also is jason mayo uh as well hey jason we've had we've had you on the show talk haunted ri before
1: absolutely thanks for having me back tim. how's
3: everything oh it's it's doing well we are spooktacular as always so uh even though i'm flying by myself here and uh, you guys know what it's like you guys are both tech savvy you know what it's like to uh feel like you know how to put something on and then the minute everything starts trying to come together that's when technology fails and the bottom falls out we
1: know it too well <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that's kind of a, the story of uh, our life and probably uh, pretty much every creative life i would imagine at this point
3: well uh, let's let's discuss the uh you know, just the wave of interest in Haunted Our started with the first episode, uh, which focused on the Ram Tail Factory and the Mercy Brown case. And that was – I think that kind of shook things up in the paranormal world a little bit because you did it a different way. Instead of just going out there and investigating, you had Brian Hanwa along with you. Uh, who, of course, was on Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International. But instead of just focusing on the paranormal investigation and the data that comes from it, you really delved into the legend and the mythology around these cases. And to me, that's what made it a a standout program because it wasn't just about, uh, you know, the history of a haunting as much as it was a sociological history of Rhode Island.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think uh, what was, you know, interesting for us was to kind of show how... uh How research is done. I mean, we we talked to experts and historians and tried to come up with where these stories sort of originated and and how they, you know, kind of evolved over the years.
3: Well, Christian, I know that in talking with Jason, you know, he had an interest in the paranormal uh, for a long time. And of course, he was associated with TAPS Paramag and and he got to know some of the gang from Ghost Hunters uh, ahead of time. But uh, how did you get involved with the paranormal world?
1: Uh, Tim, I, I grew up um, in, a, in a profoundly haunted house, uh, and uh, that that definitely opened up my belief systems for the supernatural, and uh, you know, going through the rest of my life, I, I would kind of find that that typical thing where all roads and all the other creative pursuits of my life kind of led back to uh, the supernatural, and um, as Jay was uh, mentioning, and as you mentioned, um, part of, for this particular project, Haunted R.I., part of what was... Was really appealing and interesting. Really was um, kind of looking into ooh, uh, stories themselves and, and the mythologies that surround uh, these hauntings. Uh, you know, ghosts live or die in the stories that are told about them, and in the stories themselves, uh, when looked at, kind of um, do more than just than just represent uh, the, the ghosts per se, but but kind of. Kind of empower them and, and can actually be the fuel that that, that drives them and, and, and recreates them. So uh, you know that angle of it, uh, the supernatural, whether it be ufology or or uh, hauntings. I mean, I just it's endlessly fascinating and it's a rabbit hole that once you step into, you can really never get out of. I guess
3: <laughs> it really is, and it's strange how you, you mentioned. You know, it seemed like everything in your life was was leading up to this, and it, the synchronicities uh, throughout life and and. For those who are involved in this and who feel compelled toward it, it's strange when you look back and say, oh, yes, yes, I can see. You know, That's why this happened. That's why this happened. That's why people have always been telling me these kinds of stories. And with the stories that you guys are telling, uh, at least in the first couple episodes here of the series, uh, you're doing justice not only to the legend and to the you know, the paranormal aspect of these legends, but you're telling the complete story of who these people are. And I'm in the Dolly Cole episode, especially, you know, you you weren't just content with going along with the legend as we've heard it. And you actually explored the different possibilities of who Dolly Cole was and why these uh, stories that we hear don't necessarily fit. Uh, Jay, when you're doing the research and when you're talking with people, do you find that sometimes you have to deviate from what your intended storyline might've been for the episode?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, Dolly Cole was a name that kept sort of popping onto our radar. Um, You know, and and, and one of the first stories we came across was that she was a murdered 27-year-old. That was sort of debunked quicker than some of the other myths, but then we we sort of we heard that she was a witch. So, you know, you go into wanting to start a project with all these ideas of of where they're going to, you know, um, what the outcome's going to be. And I think that's what makes this new episode so interesting. Is um, there are all these as- stories associated with the name Dolly Cole, and mm-hmm. more often than not, there there are some factual historical truths to them.
3: Now, Christian, growing up in Rhode Island and, and going to school and talking to people, I mean, how prevalent was this story? Because as I mentioned earlier on the show, it's something that I had never heard of, and I've you know been talking to Andy Lake and Tom DiAgostino De- for years, uh, so. I mean, was this something that's always kind of talked about in hushed circles around there, or is it a pretty, pretty popular story?
1: No, it's, it's actually interesting that you, that you bring that up, because uh, I think Jay, Jay would agree. Um, part of what originally um, interested Jay and I in the Dolly Cole myth was, was simply the name. The name Dolly Cole had a particular ring to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm somebody that, the way I look at the supernatural, and especially the investigation of the supernatural, is uh, you should really attack, uh, the way we understand and investigate this stuff on multiple levels. Uh, uh, if if something about the name Dolly Cole um, had had a, a kind of a, a psychological effect on me, that that that's something that there's something to that. Uh, there's a power to that and allure to that. Um, and Dolly Cole, I mean, is is really the, in my opinion, the kind of prototypical Rhode Island legend. Uh, as Jay was saying, that there's numerous. Uh, there's such morphology to her story. She was a vampire. She was a ghost. She was a murdered uh, 27-year-old transvestite prostitute. She uh, was, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a 100 years of, of legends that have built off of, uh, you know, you know, a, 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 I guess uh, a story that started perhaps in 1893. So to go back over a century of legends and kind of unti- untangled them, a century of stories, untangled them, uh, it, it was a it was a huge process, um, but it really is indicative of, especially in, here in Rhode Island, how how stories spread and and, and why they spread and and what they mean and, and and why they're why these types of stories are needed.
3: Because there there really is more layers to it than just what we're hearing. I mean, a lot of what might be the true story of what happened or a lot of you know it might not necessarily be this dolly cole character that we think of but it is possible that there was a 27 year old transvestite prostitute who was murdered and you know whose spirit is still there and that over time it just the story gets warped a little bit and i think i think tom talks about that quite a bit in the piece too about how the story gets warped uh, but What's interesting to me about it is the fact that it does pick up little bits and pieces and becomes more of an amalgamation of other legends and legends that actually carry through from different regions. Like, we talk here about the red-headed hitchhiker of Route 44 in Rehoboth, Massachusetts, but there's red-headed hitchhiker legends all over the roads. Every road has some sort of hitchhiker legend along it.
1: Yeah, what's interesting, too, is um, Dolly Cole, I think Christian had uh, done some research and found that there was a Dolly Cole... Uh, in Florida, um, um. we don't know the particular details behind it, but just just an example of yeah, state by state you'll find these motifs
3: yeah like the, you know there's so many Bloody Mary versions of the Bloody Mary story right and, uh, this this could just be another version of that, but when you're able to actually go back and and find what little research you can uh, about it, that kind of verifies what people are telling you. But the strange thing about the Dolly Cole case is you really can't find much documentation about it.
1: Yeah, it's pretty no, for, no. Yeah, for a story that, that has so many roots and so many strains, when you trace it all the way back as far as you can it, it, you know, to its source, it, it's kind of a, amazing just how ambiguous the reality of, of Dolly Cole becomes. And uh, sorry, Jason, I interrupt to do that.
2: No, well, the, the other thing, too,
1: what's pretty interesting, you know, once you kind of go through the different stories and, and put the names to the actual characters, um, what, what does remain is the ghost stories themselves and the actual personal uh, apparitions, the personal sightings that people have seen over the years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we were able to kind of, I think, put Dolly Cole to rest in a sense, but, you know, that that lingering uh, sort of question of, well, who who's haunting...
3: Who is a character that's haunting these woods? Yeah, exactly. You're uh, you're able to dispel some of the some of the myths about it, but that just opens up that door to trying to figure out exactly who it is that you are dealing with. Yeah,
1: right. Foster, Rhode Island, uh, Tim, as you know, Foster, Rhode Island is an absolute petri dish of the supernatural. I mean, you 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 have some of the most incredibly arcane stories and, and uh, ghosts and apparitions and, and, and supernatural phenomena that exist in this one small town in one small state. And it, there's such a varied, uh, amazing evolution of stories there that that really using Dolly Cole kind of as, like I said, the prototype story of Foster and using Dolly Cole, the myth and the legend, to kind of represent a bigger truth about uh, the fabric Uh, the psychic fabric of Foster Rhode Island, and and really everywhere for that matter, we we found it to be um, really indicative of of kind of a bigger story, um, something more about why we tell these stories, why we have these experiences. Um, It's it's something that to me is fundamental to the understanding of of the supernatural. So doing this documentary, Legends of Dolly Cole, um, I, I know Jason and I really kind of opened a lot of new doors for ourselves in terms of our understanding of of the supernatural in general.
3: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Christian, because in some of the discussions that we've been having uh, over the past week, you know, I was kind of thinking along those lines as a a portion in the program where I forget if it was Andrew or Tom, but somebody was talking, I think it was Andrew, was talking about how, (coughs) excuse me, that Foster hasn't changed much from Mm -hmm. how it was in Dolly Cole's time and that it's still very much that same rural community that it was back then and I, I wonder if what you think about the idea that either areas that tend to stay the way that they have been for a long time or that play particular to their history someplace like salem or plymouth if that isn't helping to foster no pun intended the paranormal and the hauntings in that area
1: jason go right ahead i'd, I'd like to hear your perspective on that personal <laughs> oh well i mean I, i'd say Definitely, it's, you know, it's um, one of the other people that uh, are interviewed in this, this show is Pat Morgan, who is a, uh, you know, pretty much a lifelong foster resident. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that foster doesn't change or hasn't changed, um, you know, it, it gives way to uh, years of storytelling and passed down traditions and and the land itself. Um, one of the other things and Andrew asserts, you know, perhaps it's cursed land. mm hmm. Yeah, the cursed earth theory, Tim, I, I know that, that you're aware of it, um, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners are. It's certainly um, a theory that, that, that really carries a lot of weight for me. Um, I, I, I remember having, a, I think it was Andrew who once said to me, you know, how is it that a, a, a house can be brand new? You can build a brand new house and it can be haunted. Well, it's because house isn't haunted but the land is
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, when, when that kind of um, understanding dawned on me it really kind of again you know changed the way I look at personally look at uh, investigating a lot of um, these types of events uh, I, I absolutely believe that you can cross the border into Foster Rhode Island and you can just sense something's different you can feel a current a psychic current in Foster Rhode Island as a lot of towns and a lot of places you go, you can get this sense of, of its history, and the history actually having a visceral, physical sense that, that transcends just an intuitional feeling. Um, Foster, Rhode Island, is an absolutely fascinating uh, place. If anybody out there is interested in, 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 in exploring uh, the idea of um, in a, a, you know, haunted places, for instance, uh, Foster is an absolutely wonderful place to start.
3: But there are also these places too where it might not be just that aspect of you know the history of the location and and how closely tied in the modern era is to that history. It could also be that there could very well be you know these hot spots of paranormal activity because there's a reason for that. There's some sort of energy epicenter there, and, and maybe Foster is one of those places.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the more I've looked into personally, looked into ley lines and in uh, energy tableaus, I, I, I've started to realize there's probably a lot of validity at least in you know into the that that is certainly a valid point of researching that uh, i don 't know Tim what do you think I mean do you find um, I mean, wh- wh- where does it what is what does it say to you I mean what what do you think about stuff like that
3: i, I think personally that it's probably uh, a psychological byproduct of the people who live there you know I, I think that when we talked about the Bridgewater triangle here for numerous years and we talk about the high crime rate the high amount of You know, mental disorders, the high amount of criminal mental disorders. uh, You know, when we look at all those numbers combined, we say, well, the land has an effect on the people. But I think over time, too, the people are also creating that atmosphere themselves. So the more that we wallow in that, the more we're just perpetuating it as years go by.
1: Yeah, it's almost, it's Ouroboros. It's the snake eating its own tail. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. I mean, just in as much as, uh, I think, an experience with what we culture as a ghost. I mean, half of what your experience is is what you bring in and half of what it brings to you. I I think you you meet supernatural experience halfway as a human being. And uh, part of the ability to do that is uh, the basic fundamental tenet of that is having an open mind. Um, If you're open to experience, uh, there's something to be said for, there's a possibility that you're you're more apt to have an experience. And uh, so, yeah, I, I agree.
3: Yeah, I, I tend to think that uh, you know, just as a you know, if a tree falls and nobody's around to hear it, doesn't make a sound. I think that if a, if a ghost is there and there's nothing there to perceive it, and that doesn't have to be a person, although I think people help it. Uh, you know, it could be some sort of device, some sort of camera or recording equipment, as long as there's something there to perceive it, it can happen.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, hundred percent.
3: So, of course, the hard part about that, though. Is When you're trying to document these stories and you're trying to put together these legends, you do have the skeptics who will watch it and they'll look at somebody and say, well, I don't really necessarily believe what they're saying. Which is an issue, but it seems like uh, in both the first episode and in this one, you've been able to find people who come across as very credible. And I think, I almost think, with a guy like Tom D'Agostino who has had these experiences, it's almost so commonplace to him uh, now living in a haunted house that you kind of lose the effect of what it must be like to see one of these things because he just says it, says it in a very ho hum way. <laughs> yeah,
1: that, that, that's pretty uh, funny about Tom. Yeah, when he, in this episode, he, actually recounts um, his first paranormal encounter um, that sort of got him into it. And he uh, thought at the time it was the ghost of Dolly Cole. But, yeah, I think, you know, we've gotten to know Tom over the past few months. He's a great guy. And, uh, yeah, just like we said in the first episode, his his life is consumed by the, uh, the supernatural. Hey. Yeah, Tom, Tom D'Agostino and Andrew Wake, I, I have to say, uh, I just want it said that if, if you were to look for people out there that are absolutely on point in terms of not just their understanding of uh, the foundations and the fundamental elements of the supernatural, but on point in terms of um, as researchers, journalists, investigators. I mean, Andrew Lake, for instance, I mean, he is one of the most meticulous minds I've ever come across. And and, and Jason and I, I, I sure, I'm sure I can speak for Jason. We certainly, I don't think, would have been able to get as far as as we did in terms of uh, untangling a lot of this this mythic material, without the incredible um, intelligent uh, work and, and efforts by Tom and Andrew.
3: And I think uh, to the to the casual viewer, you know, across the world, people in, in other parts of the country will look at. The work that they do and say well there must be somebody like that regarding every haunting in every area there must be somebody who's that much of an expert and that's really short-changing andrew and tom and and just their careers because Mm. they are unlike anybody that i've ever dealt with in in terms of how well that they get into the story And and it's it's about more than just the story itself it's about the after effects of that story to those who experience and those who hear it in the years after
1: yeah, I, uh, Tim. I, I really believe if, if you're really serious out there, and you're serious about uh, having an understanding of the supernatural, th- there's nothing casual about it. You, you don't. You shouldn't go into this with with, uh, with a kind of a, a light touch or a, mm-hmm. a casual sense. I mean, you you really got to throw yourself all the way in, as you know. You you got to make it a commitment, and, and, and in all ways, it kind of becomes a, a full life commitment. And I think you could spend a lifetime fully embracing. Um, These experiences and still not come close to true understanding. So, uh, what you want to do uh, with anything you do in life is, if you're going to pursue something, you should try to surround yourself with the best people uh, in that field. And and like we we've all come to the agreement, you know, when it comes to uh, the supernatural, Andrew Lake, Tom D'Agostino, Keith Johnson, guys like this. I mean, it's just it's definitely a tremendous help.
3: Well, there's certainly something to be said for the fact that so many people watch these paranormal reality shows on television and then end up picking up equipment and getting into the field themselves. It's not just because they're watching it and saying, hey, that looks easy. I think I can do that. There's, just like you're saying, once you see it and once you start getting involved in it, you can't just be casual about it. You're not just going to be like, oh, it's Wednesday night. Time to watch Ghost Hunters. It's going to consume you. It's going to be something that you're researching. You're going to look up online. You're going to read books about. You're going to even go in to see the crappiest paranormal activity horror movie you're still investing yourself in into the topic and into the genre
1: yeah by the way i, I did spend the weekend watching paranormal
3: activity two and
1: three just a sort of a, a fictional horror horror
3: movie you know i didn't so, hate i didn't hate them as much as i did the first one
1: no i yeah. actually liked part two better than part three i don't know if christian's seen them but I haven't seen. Uh, I've only seen the first one thus far. But Jason and I were just talking about this the other day, so I've got to catch up.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the second one is good. I didn't really mind the third one as much, but I don't know where they're going to go from here with four or five episodes in the series, you know, planned out. I think that's just a little overkill, but you know, that's what happens. We, we yep. can we can lament the great horror f- franchises of the past and how you know mm. they're getting crapped on by people who just want to see. You know, strings pulling doors closed.
1: To go to your point, though, Tim, you know your bigger point. Uh, it, it is absolutely amazing um, in how many conversations Jason and I, and I'm sure you have had with people, just that have noticed this incredible explosion of uh, paranormal media. I mean, there isn't a, a cable network without at least one, if not two, uh, supernatural themed programs. I mean, even Jason and I, you know, here in Rhode Island, have one, and and uh, I, I don't know, I don't know what's if we're feeding into something or something's feeding into us, I'm not sure, but but it's it's just an unbelievable time for the exploration of an understanding of the supernatural. And if there ever was a time where there could be a, kind of a revolution in the way people look at this subject and think about it, I think uh, we're, we're looking at it right now. This could definitely be that time.
3: Well, the flip side of that, too, though, is especially a lot of the religious types will say that we're actually just... You know the tools of the devil, uh, investigating this stuff, and that we're actually being controlled, and it's not really a good thing that there is this explosion of interest in the subject.
1: Well, that too. I mean, of course, you mix mix media into it, you mix entertainment into it, and uh, you know, just like the spiritualist movement, you've got unfortunately fraud fraudulent, you know, stuff out there too. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's where we try to kind of differ with at least, you know, this episode of Haunted Our Eye, and I would say the first one, um, you know, the first one features a ghost hunt. Um, it doesn't feature any evidence on camera, but it does, you know, we, we try to relay our personal experiences. Um, and we got a little bit of flack for that. Oh, well, you've you got a personal experience. You saw Paleg's Light in the woods, but you didn't get get it on camera. Well, you know, after that, we sort of said, well, you know what, we're not going to prove, we're not going to try to capture ghosts on camera. Yeah. Uh, to me, you know, the ultimate truth is in is in the history and the facts. I agree. And the fact and that you know these stories I, remain. If you are, I don't see what the difference is in terms of impact if you're able to go to a, a haunted location and, and actually capture a, a ghost on camera or if you're able to absolutely... Um, physically track down the story of the ghost all the way back to its source and to its, you know, quote-unquote reality. I I think either one, I mean, either avenue uh, is full of um, a lot of realization and and can can bring a lot of, uh, can shed a lot of light to something that, you know, even if people try to come up with somewhere down the line, somebody explains what ghosts are, this will always be fraught with mystery. I mean, it'll always be something that that tugs at our hearts and our minds and, and makes us wonder... You know, the, the big questions, and, and that to me is, is, in, is really part of the course as, as to why I personally am involved in this, this field, is, is no matter how close you get, the, the, the questions never stop coming. It's, it's an endlessly fascinating uh, world, the supernatural, and, and utilizing uh, the many legends of Dolly Cole kind of as a template to understand that or to, to dive in, you know, it, it, it was an absolute blast and something uh, I, I know Jason and I are very proud of
3: and And you know we're all the three of us are all at different stages of our beliefs, especially in ghosts and the ghost end of what we're talking about we're all in different avenues of belief right now and for myself personally, I feel like I've reached the point where I'm convinced that they do exist and that that's enough for me I don't need any more proof and I don't need to prove it to anybody else it does it no longer bothers me when I can relay my experiences to a person and they scoff and refuse to believe it. It used to really get on my nerves, but now I'm like, you know what, dude? That's your gig. I've got mine. You know, I know what I believe. I know what happened to me. And so I've kind of made peace with the fact that not everybody's gonna be in that mode that I'm in. So to me it's more important to to keep sharing these stories as a legend and as as part of our culture. And it's it's less about the hard data. And I think that you're probably going to find as you get into these, you know, as you said, you know, you had the ghost hunt in the first one and not in the second one because you don't need them there. It's 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 almost like the ghost hunt was just doing your due diligence uh, in the research of the stories that you heard. It's just kind of fact checking what you'd already heard. But you don't need that to have this exist because being a legend, it already exists. It's already there. And that's something tangible.
1: And the other thing, the the first episode, there was a lot uh, the the reason to um, kind of um, show the ghost hunt in the first one was because part of the episode, of the first one, is about the culture, the modern culture of the paranormal. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, especially uh, when we were profiling Brian Harnois, um, Brian is obviously one of the people who who kind of originated and popularized that methodology. Um, So to cover Brian Harnois' history and story and not Document his methodology, I think, would have been, um, wouldn't have been the right path. But like you said, in in The Legends of Dolly Cole, our our second documentary that that airs um, a week from today on on PBS, um, yeah, it's much more about the bigger questions. It's much more about, at the end of the day, the bigger stories that that, that transcend the the actual apparitions or the ghosts or the experiences themselves, the, the mythology, the mythology that drives all these things whether it be UFOs, ghosts, uh, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you can trace all the supernatural events back to mythology and and back to human storytelling, and and, and that, to me, is the root of all of this. To understand the supernatural, I do truly believe you need to understand the necessity for the stories, the necessity for the myths.
3: Absolutely. You know, and this is the kind of thing that uh, I I think is lost on a lot of people. You know, I think once they have their personal experience and they have enough of them they'll start to get more into this mode but i, I think it's something that's being lost is we're, we're not we're getting away from the story part of a good ghost story mm. so hopefully we can make a return to that and of course haunted ri is a great way to do that as you said it airs next saturday may 5th at 7 p.m on rhode island pbs now what's the what's the plan for the future uh, w- with uh, any more episodes coming up
1: Good question. Well, we we um, we've been kind of tossing ideas back and forth, but we we do have another half hour segment that'll probably air um, hopefully over the summer. That will be some shorter segments that we film that just didn't make up an hour's uh, episode. But, um, but who knows? The future is wide open. Well, I, I, I'll throw a little nugget out there. I, I would say that uh, definitely an avenue that I am personally, I'm pretty obsessively exploring right now is uh, ufology. And uh, the connections between ufology and uh, traditional, you know, ghosts or hauntings, whatever we want to call it, I find there's a lot of amazing connections. But I believe it's the next logical step And spending time with Matt Moniz. And and, and for instance, sitting down and having some time to talk and pick Matt Moniz's brain has been absolutely mind-boggling. And I find ufology to be endlessly fascinating. So Jason and I, Jason has a huge uh, knowledge base when it comes to ufology. So definitely something, you know, who knows? Who knows what the future may bring?
3: Well, I'm looking forward to that future. And hopefully we can get you guys to come in here sometime. We can just do a whole show where we can just ponder some different theories and different approaches. And actually, I'd, I'd love to have you guys come down for the next Backyard podcast episode where we can really hang loose and just be completely uncensored.
1: Oh, I was, uh, man, would love is that it. over the summer? When when will that be?
3: We were hoping to do it sometime around, like, Memorial Day and doing it as a pay-per-view on our website, charge people like a dollar to watch it with all the money going to a a worthy cause. Oh,
1: that would be great.
3: Yeah, so we'll work on that, and we'll let you know. We'll keep you up to date.
1: Cool. We'd love to be a part of it. Thanks so much.
3: All right, and thank you guys for what you do, and keep us up to date with with what's coming up in the future.
1: Thank you, Tim. This has been a real, real treat. Thank you, and thank you to all your listeners.
3: All right, we'll talk again soon. Have a great night. (laughs) There we go. Pressing the right buttons. Says Jason Mayo and Christian White of Haunted R.I. Check out the upcoming second episode, The Legend of Dolly Cole, Saturday night, May 5th. That's next Saturday night at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. And then after you're done watching that, you can flip over to the bio channel. My Ghost Story will be on at 10 o'clock, which will be... Uh, actually, you should probably just DVR My Ghost Story or tape it or, you know, hook up your Betamax. Whatever kind of technology you use, you should probably do that because... You don't want to miss Spooky South Coast at 10 o'clock. But then again, you could always listen to the podcast. See, we take care of you. We make sure that there's always a variety of different ways you can get the program. Uh, And, of course, every episode of the program is available from iTunes and wherever podcasts are found. You can also watch the video archives on YouTube as well. The YouTube channel is really picking up in popularity. And uh, just remember, too, if you're watching it on YouTube, we don't mess with the video. We kind of just let it roll in the background uh, so you do get, like, the news breaks in the commercial. But you can always just kind of skip over that. You know, it, doesn't, it only takes a few seconds to buffer in today's technology. And Spooky TV, of course, is a great way to catch the show live as well. That's how I watched Spirit Connections with Tiffany Rice when I was on my way to the studio. I had my phone running it on the Ustream app. So it works out a variety of ways. No excuse to miss anything that we're involved in. We're going to force ourselves down your throat 24-7. That's the spooky South Coast way. And (laughs) again, as I said uh, earlier in the show, there are only four tickets left for the upcoming uh, Lizzie Borden event, The Dead of Summer, on August 25th. It's our next Legend Trips event. There may be some before then. There may be some after then that come up, but that's the next one that we actually have booked and planned. So if you want to get involved with that definitely go to legend right now and buy those tickets because they are not going to stick around it's limited to only 25 people and as i said only four are left if you miss out this time don't worry we'll have more events especially more events at lizzie borden's coming up in the future but just be sure to join the mailing list at legend trips.com so that you can find out about all these events first like i said uh, earlier in the show the event here coming up on august 25th sold out almost halfway uh through the pre-sale alone and it's only going to grow as that mailing list keeps growing and as our event attendees keep growing. And thanks again to everybody that came out to Graveyard Shift at Slater Mill. It was a fabulous time. There's going to be all kinds of evidence and photos and videos and whatever else happened during the course of the night uh, up on our website, legendtrips.com, as well as airing on an upcoming episode of 30-odd minutes. So stay tuned to your local cable access channel for that and 30-odd as well. Uh, that was probably, I've watched, uh, pretty much every episode of 30 odd minutes over the years. And that was probably one of the most entertaining ones, uh, to watch from the sidelines, uh, before I even sat down in the stool. I, I kind of didn't want to have to go be part of the show because I was enjoying watching it so much. So check it out. You're going to love that. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk more about the paranormal, uh, working on a few different things. Uh, stay tuned to spooky because we'll put up all the information as it comes to us. And uh, hopefully next week we'll have everybody back on the show. So until then, we want you all to stay spooktacular.